can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side. I can only imagine what my eyes will see when your face is before me. I can only imagine Surrounded by your glory What will my heart feel? Will I stand for you, Jesus? Or in all of you be still? Will I stand in your presence? To my knees will I fall, will I sing hallelujah, will I be able to speak at all, I can only imagine, I can only imagine, I can only imagine when that day comes and I find myself Standing in the sun, I can only imagine what all I will do is forever, forever worship you. I can only imagine, surrounded by your glory. What will my heart feel? Will I stand for you, Jesus? Or in all of you be still? Will I stand in your presence? And to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. can only imagine when that day comes and I find myself standing in the sun. I can only imagine what all I will do is forever, forever worship you. I can only imagine when that day comes. And I find myself standing in the sun. I can only imagine. today, folks. I'm going to be talking about that very subject of heaven this morning. And um, But before I do it, I do have a special announcement. Um, I have been giving, uh, given these tickets with the explicit instructions that 
there shall not be one left in my hand by the end of the day. So I have five tickets left. Yes, five. Limited time only. Okay. Get them while supplies last. Literally. Five, min, uh, five tickets left for the Messiah in the Passover, the Seder that we're going to be doing tomorrow night uh, right here at 7 o'clock. And uh, I tell you what, this is something that you will definitely not want to miss. And uh, so please see me. In fact, I'll have them right up here at the front. See me after the service. Five tickets left. That's it. Okay. There. Said that. All right. Okay. Again, my name is Aaron Broughton. Again, just a pleasure to be with you here at Keith Heights this morning. Um, Brother Casey again asked me to come and speak uh, for him this, uh, today and then also for the Seder tomorrow night. And uh, just a, a blessing to be. I wanted to say that um, just a couple things about the back table. Uh, again, one of the ministries that I'm involved in was with Project Nehemiah. That's our humanitarian aid ministry in Israel. And uh, I have brochures in the back. Feel, please feel free to take these. It uh, describes a little bit more about the ministry. Also, make sure you take one of our cards, our personal cards. And like I said, this is not up to date. We are need to put on our littlest one. We have a seven-year-old Linnea, four-year-old Benjamin, and then a four-and-a-half-month-old Tabitha, Tabitha Grace. And so uh, we ha- we're definitely a blessed family. And uh, just pray for us. Pray for our ministry as we work among the Jewish people. Um, one thing I do want to share with you is that if you are interested about how to reach uh, your Jewish neighbor with the gospel, the Messiah, wondering how to do it, or you just want to know more about, about the Jewish people in general, have that desire, we have a program called the Four-Day Focus of Jewish Missions. That's the last week of June, June 23rd through the 26th. And this is basically a Jewish Missions 101. It helps you understand who the Jewish people are and what, what to do with about them. We have a session about the book of Daniel and, and prophecy and related to the Feasts of Israel. A couple of really interesting things. I'm doing a special session on replacement theology during that time. And you're probably wondering what all that stuff is about. Come to the four-day focus and you'll find out. So, but anyways, uh, these are on the back table. Please feel free to take them. We have other tracks, other literature back there. But one thing I want to point out, we were talking about Passover. Passover starts tomorrow night on the Jewish calendar. Passover begins, and we have our magazine that we put out every other month from International Board of Jewish Missions called The Everlasting Nation. I'm actually the managing editor of the magazine. And uh, anyways, the last one, in fact, I have some sample issues back there, is On Messiah and the Passover. So just by chance, you, you, know, you heard everything today and tomorrow and have some questions, take this home, or if you're not able to come, this will still give you a good idea of what we're covering, and this will be a blessing to you. Um, in just a moment, we're going to be looking at the book of John, chapter 14, talking about Jewish wedding customs, and that article is, uh, at least a condensed version of that, is in this magazine. So feel free to take these when you, when you go. And if you want to sign up for our prayer letter or for the magazine, at least some sample editions, we do have some cards in the back. Feel free to, to fill these out, and then I'll pass it along to our staff. Anyway, such a joy to be with you. One of the blessings that your pastor has been to us was when we were ministering in, in Tel Aviv, Israel, uh, running Project Nehemiah, but also pastoring Messiah Baptist Tabernacle in downtown Tel Aviv. Uh, Brother Casey has actually come a few times, uh, more than once, to, to preach at our church. And... Uh, we have a tremendous blessing this morning. I actually have my, my former church secretary with us today from Tel Aviv, Miss Susan Elquay. If you can come up here to the front. Susan, when did you come to, to the States? A week and a half? Two weeks? A week ago Friday. So welcome to America. Sister Susan is from the Philippines. 
And uh, she came to, uh, to Israel as a foreign worker, uh, what, about nine years? Nine years and yeah. Nine years and three months to be exact, working in Israel, doing home care, other type of, uh, type of things. And um, she was a very, much in, very much involved with Messiah Baptist Tabernacle. And uh, she was, uh, was our church secretary. And uh, she is now here in America, and uh, she is getting married. Yeah. So, and if you could have uh, your, your new family, if you'll stand, your future husband, and let's see, Kevin, Kevin Johnson, and that's your fiance. Okay, getting married, what, 26 of this month? Yeah. 26, so just a couple of weeks. And then Kim? Okay, all right. Her sister-in-law and George. I'm meeting them for the first time today, too, folks. So we're all doing this together. Okay. <laughs> and son Trent. Okay. But uh, I tell you what, this is a, a dear, precious family, and I congratulate you. I, I've known Susan very well for the past years. Uh, you are going to get a, a tremendous blessing in Susan. I, I can't say enough about that. Thank you for coming, and Susan, thank you. You are a blessing. Salamat ang Dios. Yes, that's a little bit to go. You may be seated. By the way, I haven't seen Susan. Let's see, last time I was in Israel was a little over two years ago, so uh, I don't know if you were at that meeting or not. Uh, it's been at least three or four years since I've seen Susan. She came in the door. They're now living down near Sykeston, uh, correct, in that area? Okay. All right, so they drove up here uh, for, to be with us. So I tell you what, uh, this is like a little reunion, and uh, I, I just can't explain enough. We, the song was sung, only, I can only imagine. Meeting face-to-face is the ultimate blessing with meeting with our Savior. Ultimate blessing. But also an additional blessing, can't compare it to Jesus Christ, but guess what? As family and friends, man, I, I get to see you maybe once every other year here. Um, I've seen Sister Susan for many years in Israel and then separated for a time, and now she's in America, and now we're meeting. But guess what? In heaven, we're going to be next to our neighbors. You can come over anytime for coffee and tea. Okay. <laughs> Um, I can only imagine what it's going to be like. And so uh, um, I, I just praise the Lord. This is a tremendous blessing. And uh, we love you, Sister Susan. And, and thank the Lord for how he's worked in your life, brought you here to America in a marriage. And, and so we're going to be talking about Jewish wedding customs today. So this is their marriage counseling. Okay, so if you can. Okay, so take good notes. But guess what? It's for the rest of us as well. Okay. Uh, my wife and I have been married over 12 years ourselves. As I mentioned, we have three children. My wife's name is Mandy, and uh, just uh, uh, she's a tremendous woman of God, and I just thank the Lord for bringing her into my life. Her parents are David and Patty Piles. You might have heard that name. Brother Case was dear friends, still is dear friends with them. Um, they were in Israel for several years, 17 years to be exact, and uh, so I ended up marrying. Uh, Pastor Piles started the church in Israel, and I took it over, uh, and so I ended up marrying his daughter through the process. So it was just kind of amazing how the Lord works, and now we're here in the States, and uh, just been a tremendous blessing. Um, again, we open our Bibles to John chapter 14. And uh, getting to the message this morning, we're going to be talking about, in fact, the, the title of tonight, today's message is, Behold, the Bridegroom Cometh. Behold, the Bridegroom Cometh. And yet, like I said, we're going to talk a little bit about Jewish wedding customs today. And uh, John 14, just to give you an, an idea of where we are at, 
uh, in the scriptures with the history. We talked in the Sunday school hour about Jesus being that prophet like unto Moses. We talked about the, the signs, the miracles that he did that proved that he was very much in fact that promised Messiah. Um, and yet they did not believe him. I think it's interesting as well. I think, well, you, some of you, how many of you have been praying for a lost loved one or family member, a friend, a neighbor? Hopefully we all have. And you, maybe you've been doing that for years and years. It seems like eternity. George Mueller, who, uh, from, from England, who, who had the orphanages, that's what he was best known for. But he had a fervent prayer life. He was the type of man, he never asked for help himself, but he would always pray that the Lord, we need this much bread for, for the, the orphanage. And he never would ask anyone, and he would get a knock on his door a couple minutes later sometimes. And there would be the food there on his pantry. Um, if you've never read the story of George Mueller, I encourage you to do that. But uh, George Mueller, as a man of prayer, he also was very fervent about souls, and actually Jewish souls as well. And uh, Mueller, he had prayed for one man in, in particular, a lost man, and uh, tried to witness him several times. He prayed for, oh my word, it was probably over 30 years to, for this man to get saved. George Mueller passed away. And it was a short time after that where this man he was praying for came to know Jesus as his Messiah. So don't give up in praying. So with the Jewish people, we're wondering what can we do to... <laughs> they're, they're difficult people to reach. I was witnessing just a, about a month ago, actually, to a man by the name of Joe Preble. He is one of the wealthiest businessmen in Chattanooga, where we are living now in Tennessee. Um, he's a Jewish man. He is following the teachers of the Lubavitch, the Chabad movement. Um, he uh, follows the teaching of an Orthodox Judaism, if you're not familiar with that. Um, and anyways, very difficult man to reach in some ways, humanly speaking. And we're thinking, what can be done to reach p- Jewish people, or Gentiles for that matter, with the gospel, that they come to saving faith? And uh, the answer is very simple. If you remember when Jesus was talking about the rich man and Lazarus, and uh, remember the rich man, at the very end of the story, he says, I pray, pray that Lazarus would go back and tell my brothers. He was concerned for his brothers, that they've come also to this place of torment. You remember that story. And what, is, what does Father Abraham say? He says, they have what? Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them, because they're probably not going to even listen to a man who rose from the dead. We expect all these big signs, miracles, and wonders, things going on, but ultimately what happens? How, does people, how do people come to know Jesus as the Messiah? We know that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Ultimately, it's the Word of God that draws people to the cross. This is our source of authority. So as you pray for your lost loved ones, use the scripture, study the scripture. In fact, I would tell our folks at MBT, at at Messiah Baptist Tabernacle all the time, how do you live the Christian life? You remember this? How do you live the Christian life? Read your Bible, pray every day, and then obey. That's how you live it. Read the Bible, pray every day, and then obey. Just like that. So here we are in John chapter 14. And we are in the upper room with Jesus and his disciples in Jerusalem. Some of the things that have been going on recently during this time, Jesus is there. He washes the disciples' feet. He tells them that, verily, one of you tonight will betray me. (laughs) 
the word goes around, is it I, is it I? And finally, Judas kind of nudges Jesus and says, is it I? And Jesus said, thou sayest. And what you have to do, do quickly. And Judas gets up from the table and leaves. Tomorrow night, during the Passover, I'll be kind of talking a little bit about what was taking place there with his discussion with Judas. Have you ever wondered why the disciples uh, weren't surprised when Judas left? Come back tomorrow night and I'll tell you. Okay? Basically, he was going out to do part of his ministry was collecting funds. Okay? And that was something you do at Passover. That's a simple explanation. I'll go into it deeper tomorrow. So they weren't that surprised. But here the thing is, at the very end, he says here uh, to Peter, and this is John chapter 13, and Peter says, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to even lay my life down for you. And what does Jesus say to him? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. So here we are at the Last Supper, and the disciples, things are going okay. Remember, it's a celebration time. You know, you're remembering the exodus from Egypt, and they're doing many things, and re- remembering the story of Moses, and uh, so many things that God did for them. And uh, Jesus is giving some troubling words. One of you betray me, Peter, you're going to deny me? They're a little bit shaken at this point. Here we come to John chapter 14. And this is where we begin. Let's begin reading in verse 1. It says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there he may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas saith unto him, remember doubting Thomas, he said, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? And probably this verse every one of us should have memorized. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. With that, we are going to talk about Jewish wedding customs. You're probably thinking to yourself, I don't see no wedding here. I don't see a cake. You have to have a cake. I don't see a photographer. I don't see the wedding dress. I don't see anything. What is he talking about? We often read the Bible from Gentile eyes. We forget that this is a Jewish book. Remember, the patriarchs are Jewish. The disciples are Jewish. The writings, with the possible 40 authors of the Bible, with the possible exception of Luke, are Jewish. Even though the New Testament was written in Greek, we know they were writing with a Hebrew mindset. And so we, have, we can't separate that. So today what we're going to talk is about the background. What Jesus is teaching his disciples was something that was comforting to them. And so he said, begins here in verse 1. It says, let not your heart be troubled. With all the confusion going on, it says, let not your heart be troubled. Calm down. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In fact, he was equating his authority with the Father right there. Basically saying he was God. But let's give this understanding. What, Jew, what Jesus is teaching us here and to his disciples, he was bringing back to their minds the wedding customs of the day. And like I said, we read the Bible from Gentile eyes. Let's get the Jewishness of the book. So I'm going to tell you this little story, and hopefully this will help you understand. Well, marriage customs in that time is a lot different than here today. In fact, uh, dating as we know it has only been around for about 100 years. Uh, even not that long ago, to see a man and a woman alone together, most assuredly they were either relatives or they were married, which if you're married, you're a relative. So you understand, it plays a part, okay? So back in the first century, in Bible times, 
marriage customs were a lot different than they were today. Let's have a man. His name is Moshe. Moses. Moshe. Hey, nice Jewish boy. Moses, he, uh, he, he's walking down the street one day with his friends. And Moshe, he sees a, over in the distance, he sees a woman by the well. We'll call her Devorah. Deborah, okay, Devorah, I'm using the Hebrew name, okay. He sees her and he says, I'm going to take a closer look. And he goes over there and says, yeah, she is gorgeous, okay. He gets the butterflies in his stomach, things like that, you know, the love at first sight. And so he tells his friends, say, that, that woman over there, over by the well, she's the one. She is the one for me, okay. Love at first sight. Um. Another way it was arranged, too, sometimes the parents would actually meet together or you would have a matchmaker. How many have ever seen Fiddler on the Roof before? Okay. If you don't get this lesson today, watch Fiddler on the Roof, and then everything will come together beautifully and then enough said. Okay. All right. So understand what's happening here. He sees her, says she's the one. And so what he does is this. He goes home and he starts writing a ketubah. A ketubah is a Jewish marriage contract or covenant it's a it's actually a legal binding document it's even used in jewish circles today and so in that he would say how much he would love and provide and care for devora he would also put in something about a dowry now back in those times if you had uh, a dowry was very important it would be the bride price the price for the bride for example Let's say those families live back there in a clan system. Let's say you and your, your wife, you had a, 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 a boy, a son, okay? He would grow up, and what would he do? He would carry on the family name, the family business, everything, and he would have children. He would make the family clan bigger and stronger. You understand that, okay? The Broughton family is getting bigger. Yeah, that's the idea. But let's say you had a girl. A girl was kind of a liability. Some of you fathers can relate. I have two, okay? And this is what I mean by that. You would raise up your daughter to do what? To do things around the house. But eventually you're training that daughter to be married into some other family clan. And that clan would be bigger and stronger. You understand what I'm saying? So in order to compensate for the, daughter, for the father's losses, a dowry or a price, a bride price was given to the father of the bride in order to make that. Now you're probably thinking, you know, back in the, in the Middle East, there's a joke that goes around. It's like, you know, that woman's worth, uh, you know, three camels or something like that. Or, you know, a couple of goats and all that. But anyways, to put it in our terms, it was a hefty price. It was the price of almost equivalent to a small house today. So this took some work and dedication, okay? And so that would be in the, in the ketubah as well. The third thing that was in the ketubah was the get. The get is the divorce, uh, kind of a divorce insurance. Let's say for some reason that things didn't work out, she was impure, something like that where they had a divorce, okay, that she would be compensated. She would give a sort of alimony that would have been given to her so she could, she could go on. A good case in point would be when Mary and Joseph were coming together. Remember, Joseph found out that Mary's pregnant and he was going to put her away privily uh, for a for a time, that, that was the idea. That, that was the idea. He, he would be providing for Mary, okay? Because who knew when the next marriage proposal and things would work out for her, okay? So that was kind of the way the system worked back then. So he finishes the, this ketubah, the marriage covenant. And he goes over to Devorah's house and he knocks on the door. Man opens the door. It's Devorah's father. And you can imagine a big 
gulp. Okay, it's like wondering what's going on here. And uh, he says, oh, Moshe, welcome. How are you doing today? I said, good. And said, what are you here for? I said, I'm, I'm here to see your daughter. And Devorah says, well, I have many daughters. Which one? I said, Devorah. Uh, excuse me, Devorah. Understand, you'd be nervous too, I'm sure. Okay? And so this is what happens. They say, okay, we come in, and they would sit around the table. And then they would pour, they would look over the ketubah. Sometimes Moshe's dad, he would have been there too. And they would have agreed to it. They'd drink a cup of wine or grape juice over it to, to uh, basically uh, approve of the ketubah. Then came the great point. Devorah would come in and sit across from Moshe. Moshe would then, get this, this is where it gets exciting. More, Moshe would then pour a cup of wine and set it in front of her. And that was the proposal. Okay, If she drank it, she said yes. If she put it aside, she would say no. But you got to remember, if she said no, word would get around that she's being stingy. I mean, she wasn't getting younger, you know, maybe 13, 14, 15 years of age at this point. Okay, that's the way they did things back then. Okay, but uh, so she had all the time in the world to think about this, maybe two or three minutes. Okay, so anyway, for the sake of the story, she drinks the cup. Yay, we have a wedding. And so Moshe gets up from the table and he goes out to the door. And he's about ready to leave. And he goes to Devorah and he says, Devorah, I go to prepare a place for you. He shuts the door and he goes to his father's house. There's a wedding. It's time to plan. So what's Moshe doing? He goes to his father's house and he starts building a little honeymoon cottage adjacent to his father's house, connected to his father's house. It become like a, a little mansion. Okay, we're going to get back to Moshe in just a second. Devorah, she's over here. And what she is doing is something very interesting. She is, uh, first of all, preparing herself. Her mother is helping her prepare herself for marriage. But uh, she will have a lamp trimmed with oil. Here's a replica of a first century oil lamp. She would have a lamp trimmed with oil by her bedside. Because you never knew when Moshe would come. He could come in the middle of the night, even as a thief in the night. Who knew? How romantic, okay? And take her away. She would also have a veil over her face. Whenever she would go on in public, she would have a veil over her face saying that she was taken. Two great stories from Genesis help us understand that. Remember when Isaac, Eleazar, Abraham's servant, goes to Mesopotamia, finds a bride. He brings back Rebecca. Rebecca, what? She sees, who's that man over there? Oh, that's Isaac. Oh, and then what does she do? She puts a veil on really quick, okay? Because Isaac, think about this. Isaac put so much faith in God and also in, in Eleazar, so did Abraham. What happened? Isaac never saw Rebekah until they consummated the marriage. Never saw her face. Talk about faith. Talk about faith. All right? Other case in point. Remember when Jacob works seven years for Rachel... And what does his father-in-law do? He tricks her with Leah. Why? Why didn't, why didn't Jacob figure out, you know, before they said, I do? <laughs> how come he didn't figure out it was Leah? Because she had the veil over her face. He didn't know. That was the custom. So you see how that blends together? So whenever she goes out in public, she has a veil over her face, saying that she is taken. It's an identity. She becomes kind of a mystery woman of the village. Who is that? She's going to get married, but who is that? Kind of exciting. Well, that's what 
That's what Deborah's doing. Moshe is over here. He's working on his father's house. And basically what he's doing, if he was like most men, he would throw up a simple shack and then go get the girl. Okay? <laughs> but there was a common denominator in all this. It was the father of Moshe. Of course, he had been married before, and he knew exactly how perfect this house needed to be. And so everything was uh, taken under great care. Because you've got to remember, Devorah, at her age, she's coming to a house, a family. Everything was new. Had to get her comfortable and everything like that. So it was almost like a little mansion. But there was a friend of Moshe who came over and asked Moshe, well, when's the wedding going to be? Moshe says, I don't know. Only my father knows. And so, well, time finally flew by. went very quickly. And uh, Moshe's dad finally says to, uh, to him, say, okay, the house is ready. Go and get your girl. And so this is what happens. He gets all his best men together. And in the middle of the night, they go out throughout the street and they start shouting, behold, the bridegroom comes. Go out to meet him. And then they do something else very special. They take out the shofar. The ram's horn. Okay, I've got all kinds of goodies in this bag. There's more to come. Okay. So, anyways, they blow the shofar, announcing the coming of the bridegroom. And they do this in the middle of the night, middle of the street. So you're sleeping, you know, you had a long day, and, oh, you've got to get up, there's a wedding. Oy vey. You know, so that's kind of what's going on, okay? And so this is what happens, though. Moshe comes, and he comes to a divorce house, and then he stops halfway between his house and her house. His best men go and bring Devorah, to him. Very interesting. They, let me break into what they do now in Jewish weddings. Okay. Sister Susan, did you get a chance to go to a wedding? Okay. But you probably have heard this before. Okay. Jewish people today, and even back then to an extent, were married under what we call a chuppah, a marriage canopy. Marriage, and it was to represent the home that they would be living in. And it's supposed to be open at night because uh, you're supposed to see the stars of the heaven. Remember Abraham's promise? Your seed will be as the stars of the heavens, stands upon the seashore. It's to re- help him to remind him of that. Okay, and so another thing that would happen uh, today in a Jewish wedding, at the end of the, the marriage ceremony, let's see if I can find it here. Yes, yes I have it. Okay, a, a glass would be put down his foot. And this happened more after the temple was destroyed. A glass would be put down on the floor, and after the ceremony is over, the groom would stomp his foot, and break the glass. By the way, this is the glass from my wedding. My wife and I were married under the marriage canopy as well. And so the glass is broken. And the idea is this. One rabbi in a wedding in the Middle Ages, he stood up and at the, in the reception. He says, wait a minute. He broke the glass. People saying, Rabbi, what's going on? He says, we have to remember that even in the midst of this joyous occasion, we need to remember that the temple was destroyed. The temple is very key to the Jewish people. And so that's the idea. You break the glass. But, and some commentators also say that this is the last chance that the man gets to put his foot down. Yeah, okay. All right. Let me just say this. And Susan, you'll, you'll appreciate this as well. What is the, the difference between an Israeli mother and a Rottweiler? You know, a mean dog. The Rottweiler eventually lets go. Okay? The Jewish mother will always be there. Believe it or not. And it's, it's a kinship um, affection they have for one another. So that's the idea. Well, so the marriage ceremony is over. They go into the wedding chamber and consummate the marriage. The, bride, uh, the, the friend of the groom will announce that the wedding has happened or the, uh, the marriage is, is here and everything. And so this is what happens. They're in there for seven days. 
in that honeymoon cottage, and there's a feast going on. The father of the bridegroom, Moshe's dad, he will set up an elaborate marriage feast. And when you come to the feast, you have to wear a kittel, a white wedding garment. Okay? If you want to come says, I'm only here for the cake and just, you know, greet and something like that, you'll be kind of cast out because you were expected to honor the bride and the groom, honor the marriage by wearing that special white robe. Okay? Those who did not wear that robe were cast out into utter darkness. That, the idea there is you'd be kicked out of the community. In other words, you couldn't come back. Couldn't come back to live. Couldn't come back to have a job. You would lose everything. It was a big deal. It was a big deal in that time. So, so anyways, that is more or less what happened. So what happens to Moshe and Devorah? Well, as with any story goes, they lived happily ever after. Okay? So that's the story. That's the background that Jesus is giving here in John chapter 14. Here he is in the upper room, literally hours before he's arrested. He spends the night in Caiaphas's dungeon. He is then brought before Pilate, Herod then Pilate, who gives him his cross and he's nailed to a tree. And he dies for our sin. This is what's happening here. He says here again in verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He says here, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I'd go to prepare a place for you. So let's do the parallel of the story really quick so we understand this. Just as Moshe saw Devorah, it wasn't us. The Bible says in Romans that no man seeketh after God. But guess what? It's not that we love God, but that he first loved us. Exactly. He saw us. He loved us. He didn't have to, but he did. Exactly what happened. Then what does Moshe do? He goes and he writes a ketubah. God has also written a ketubah, his love letter for us. In Jeremiah chapter 31, the Bible says that God will write a new covenant and place it in men's heart. Not as the covenant of old, the old father, but a new covenant. It's interesting, we have a Bible that's divided up into two parts, an Old and New Testament. The Hebrew word for New Testament is called the Hebrit Hadashah, which is the New Covenant. This is what Jesus is referring to here, the New Testament. And it, he writes how much he loves and cares and provides for each and every one of us. He gives us good things, good gifts. He also talks about the bride price. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians that, Know ye not that you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God. With your bodies. We were paid with the highest price of all. Jesus' own life, body, and blood for us. Also, we talked about the get, the divorce insurance. There would come a time where motion, divorce had to be separated, divorce, whatever. There would be something in place for that. But guess what? God took care of that as well. Because he says that no man shall be able to pluck you out of my hand. Nothing shall separate you from my love. That's a great picture of eternal security right there. Nothing will separate us from God. By the way, uh, I was even this, this is kind of a side note, but I think it's worth noting. Um, this past week in my devotions, I was reflecting in the book of Isaiah that trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah's everlasting strength. In other words, God has everlasting power that will not end no limit to it. And we can trust in Him forever. We don't have to think that we can't trust God, that one day God's going to drop us on the side of the street. He will take care of us. Does God chasten us? Yes. (laughs) When we do things wrong, God does chasten us. And by the way, He chastens us as what? What does Hebrews say? As His child. 
Another great picture of eternal security. Okay? So anyways, he presents his ketubah to us. At the Last Supper, Jesus is with his disciples. And what does he do? He breaks the bread. And we're going to talk about that more tomorrow night. And then what does he do? He also pours the cup. And what does he do? He places it in front of him. And he says to the disciples, drink ye all of it. What was Jesus doing? He was proposing to his disciples. And his disciples knew that. He's basically saying, will you marry me? Will you be one with me? And guess what? For the sake of the story, they drank the cup. question is for you. He presents that cup of salvation to each and every one of us. Have you drank of that cup? For the sake of the story, I pray we have. So what does Jesus do then? He then has left. He's about ready to go. And he says the very same thing that Moshe said. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. That was the promise that Moshe made to Deborah. That's the same promise that Jesus gave to his disciples and to us today. That he went to heaven and he's now preparing a place for us. And guess what? It's not going to be a simple shack. We have the word mansion here in our King James Bible. And uh, what does this mean? We think of kind of like a big mansion or a big cabin. You know, we have our own ideas. But really the idea is this, that we have a, a, a place that God says, my I have not seen nor ear heard nor has entered in the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. In other words, we don't know what this house is going to look like, this apartment or mansion or whatever you want to call it. But guess what? It will be out of this world. Literally. You'll get that later. Okay. But here's the thing. Jesus didn't stop there. He says in verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. He doubles that promise. And receive you under myself, that where I am, there he may be also. So as Jesus is in heaven preparing a place for us, what are we supposed to do? Just as Devorah did, we need to have our lamp trimmed by our bedside. The lamp, the Bible says that God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. As God, as God directs us in life, got to remember a principle that sometimes God gives us enough light just to see the next step. The lamp is filled with oil. Oil represents the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, Be not drunk with wine where is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Sing yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. This is what we need to keep with us today. I think a lot of times we've lost our focus on who Jesus is because we haven't spent time in his own word and his own love letter to us. The other thing that Deborah had to do was have that veil over her face. And guess what? We have an identity. They will know we are Christians by... Our love, our fellowship one for another. It's an identity. And remember we said that Devorah kept that on until they went into the honeymoon cottage? And guess what? In a way, we are a mystery. Paul says in Ephesians that the church is a mystery. The world can't quite figure it out. <laughs> and guess what? One day, what's the next scheduled event in the Bible? It's the rapture of the church. And as Moshe and Devorah were in that honeymoon cottage for seven days, even so we shall be with Christ for seven years. It's a great picture of a pre-tribulational rapture that you have right here. We're with Christ for seven years. Guess what? We will then come with Christ back to this earth, and guess what? He will reveal to the world who that mystery bride is, the church. Beautiful picture. Beautiful picture. And so that's exactly what's happening here. So the question is then, we kind of put all these pieces of the puzzle together, kind of finish it up with this. Thomas asked him a question. Lord, we know that we're with the goes. How can we know the way? Jesus, I think, politely and humbly says to him, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man comes from the Father but by me. The question is to Thomas as well as is to us today. Do we believe in Jesus as the only way, the only truth, and the only life? 
have we come to the Father through him. Jesus has given that free cup of salvation to each and every one of us. And we think of Passover time, there's a cup, a cup of salvation, where he says, I will redeem you with a stretched on arm. That's in Exodus 6. As we take that, Jesus offers that cup of salvation to each and every one of us. Have we accepted that? Have we asked Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins? We have to understand that we have a holy God. God cannot allow sin into heaven. He is a righteous God. We have sin in our hearts, a dark heart. What is that heart? What is, what is, what is sin? It's everything that we think, that we say, that we do, that displeases God, that breaks God's laws. Folks, we have a broken God's laws over and over and over. How shall then we have our hearts cleaned? We have a dark heart. How can we have it clean? Jesus came to this earth to seek and to save that which was lost. He bore our own sins upon the cross and bore them upon the tree. His blood he shed for each and every one of us for the forgiveness of sins. That we, if we come to him, we ask forgiveness from him. That through his blood he will make our dark hearts clean. And when he does that, we have a new life in him and we grow as a tender plant. We grow before him. Isn't that amazing? When we understand that, understand the price that Jesus paid for us. Understand that Jesus loves us. He loves us with an everlasting love. And as we look here at John chapter 14, and we see the Jewish wedding customs lived out here, the question is for each and every one of us today, have we accepted that? There is going to come a time when Jesus, the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, that he shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. You know, for many people, the idea of the rapture is a scary thing. Will I be left behind? We think of all the, the rapture movies from the past, things like that. Will we be left behind? But you know what? Paul says that this isn't a, a thought to frighten us, because it says in 1 Thessalonians 4.18, Wherefore, Comfort one another with these words. These are words of comfort. Jesus, our bridegroom, will one day, as he has promised, promised twice, he will come again for us. And then one day we will hear that shout, Behold, the bridegroom comes. And we will hear that shofar blowing. You're probably wondering what the shofar sounds like. And so for those who are sleeping, this will wake them up. Okay. Maybe today, we'll hear that shofar blown. Then we can sing, I can only imagine. It'll be real. It'll be real. Are you ready to meet the Lord? If you're here today and you do not know for sure that Jesus is your Savior, you never put your faith and trust in Him to forgive you of your sins, make your dark heart clean. Today, you can do that. The Bible says, if any man shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. That's a promise that we can, we can hold true to that. Because you know what? He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. Behold, the bridegroom comes. Are you ready to meet him? Let's have a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you so much for this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the, this message and the word of God, how powerful it speaks to us. Lord, we ask today, if there's someone here that does not know you as Savior, that today they'll have that settled before they leave today. Lord, Maybe there's someone here struggling in their walk with you. Help them, Lord, to get back in your word, to read your Bible, to pray and obey it. And Lord, I pray we'd be in a right relationship with you. And Lord, as we remember your work on the cross, even this week, as we look forward to Easter next week, 
Lord, we do thank you for your sacrifice for us. Lord, help us not to take that for granted, but live it faithfully. As you died for us, help us to live for you. Lord, we love you and we thank you for, in Jesus' name. Amen.